This morning we are continuing our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And as we've discussed before, we, we believe that the Ten Commandments still have a lot to say to us in 2012. And that if we were smart and if we heeded God's message, um, we would still try to incorporate them and live within them and live through them so that we might be able to grow our relationship with God. And so the reason that we are doing a Ten Commandments series here is because we believe that they have the, the power that if, we, that if we live within them to, to really transform the way that we live our lives and, and it really has the power to, to shape our lives here today. So I want to ask you a question as I begin this morning. How many of you have ever heard the expression, the grass is always greener on the other side? We've all heard that expression. And oftentimes we have these grass is greener experiences. Usually what happens is we see somebody else's life or maybe we see something they have that we would really like to have. And so oftentimes we think like, wow, you know, I bet it's really awesome to be that guy because he drives that car. Or that family is really lucky or blessed because they have that house. Or, man, I wish our marriage was like their marriage. The truth is, and I think we all come to understand this, when we have these grasses, greener experiences, the reality behind them is that oftentimes those marriages are suffering the same kinds of things your marriage is. Oftentimes, just because somebody has a nicer car doesn't necessarily mean that they have the money to actually pay for that car. Oftentimes, and, and we've seen this especially in the last you know, what, four or five years with the foreclosure markets, people are losing their homes. Oftentimes, what we've come to realize is that we always think that somebody else's life is better, but the truth is, for the most part, it's probably pretty, like, pretty much like your own. But we get into trouble when we have these grass is greener on the other side experiences because we begin to desire somebody else's life, or we begin to desire to be like somebody else. And when we do that, it's as though we are saying to God, what you have given me is not enough. Or, who you made me isn't who I want to be. When we have these grasses greener experiences, we get into trouble because we begin then to try to change everything ourselves for the wrong reasons. Now, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they had the same, the grass is greener on the other side experience. And what happened to them is that they started going after other gods, and then everything went downhill for them. So I want you to open up your Bibles if you have them. If not, we have it on the screen to Exodus chapter 20. And by the way, we do have study guides. I hope everyone got one. They should have been in your in your uh, bulletin this morning. I hope these help. Today's a little bit extra on there, and I hope that you could take these home, look them over, and if nothing else, if you fill them in this morning, it might help you to remember um, some of the truths that we find in Scripture. So I want to read to you Exodus chapter 20. And God said to Moses, You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness, wait, or any likeness rather, of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is under the, water, under the water, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." 
What God is literally saying is, don't make an idol of anything that is found in this world. And I think that, oh, (laughs) don't make an idol of anything that is found in this world. We could literally end the sermon right here. If it was 10 degrees hotter, we might. But the bottom line of what commandment number two is saying is don't make idols. Don't make gods of anything that is found in the world around you. Now, last week we talked about the first commandment, and the first commandment is essential for building the foundation of the relationship between the Israelites and God. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt not... Have any other... What is that? I'm going to give you a sticker like I gave to the kids earlier this morning. Yeah. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any other gods. That was the foundational rule for the relationship between the Israelites and God. In essence, Yahweh opened himself up. So Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. Yahweh opened himself up to have a special relationship with Israel. But the only way that that relationship could be fully developed is if the Israelites committed themselves to God and God alone. That's important. The only way the relationship is developed is if the Israelites committed themselves to God. God had already freed them out of slavery. God had taken them out of the worst possible situation in Egypt where they were slaves. They were brick makers. That was all they did. And God took them from there. He freed them and he was bringing them into their own land. But it was up to them whether they would establish and develop this relationship with God. It would, we could say it this way. The next step after God rescuing them, if there was one, belonged to the Israelites. How many times when we are in, you know, I don't know, high school, college, and at least for me, the experience was, you know, you see a young lady that um, you think might be a nice young lady to get to know and to maybe be your girlfriend. And so oftentimes, at least for us, at least in my time, um, the girls weren't very forward in, in the sense of they didn't say, hey, we like you. But they would give you nudges, right? They would give you hints. And um, I was never good at picking any of them up. But the idea was they would give you a hint, and then the ball was in your court. It was up to me to, to then say, hey, I'd like to take you for, I don't know, a sandwich or, a, or something. I don't know. Hey, would you like to go to the school cafeteria so we can have lunch? I don't know. But the ball was in my court. And when it comes to this relationship with God, what God is saying is, I have done all of this for you. Now the ball is in your court. You have to make the decision on whether you will take this relationship with me or if you will just walk away from it. But the only way that that could be developed, that that relationship could be nurtured, is through a committed or through a commitment from the Israelites. So another way of saying this, if you want to have a relationship with God, the next step belongs to you. Will you commit to God? And you have to remember, when you commit to God or when you commit to anybody in this world, to commit to one person is to not commit to anyone else. To commit to one person means that, in essence, you forsake every other relationship you could possibly have. And what I mean by that is, if you're a man and you commit to your wife, you forsake all the other relationships you could have with other females. Does that make sense? Not friendships and stuff like that. And so God is saying, 
okay, if you want a relationship, it's up to you. And the first commandment is an invitation for us to commit to this one God. Now, what's interesting about the second commandment is what we will see today. It's actually a little bit lengthier than the first commandment. And what we will see throughout the Ten Commandments is commandment two, commandment four, and commandment ten, I believe it is, are the longest of the commandments. And what commentators have said, it's the reason that those are longer is they give more specifications. It's more clear as to how you do what that commandment says, so it gives you more help because those would be the hardest ones to keep. Now, I'm not going to ask you what the fourth commandment is or what the tenth commandment is because I want to, you know, want you to come back. <laughs> but the reason is that these were the harder ones, and so God was trying to give the Israelites more of a, a better understanding, an easier way to follow this. Now, in the second commandment, there are specifications as to how you are to keep it. And the very simple one, the first one, is that you are not to use any images in the worship of Yahweh. In essence, don't make something that will represent God, worship it, but say that you're actually worshiping God through this. God says, you don't need that. Now for us, in 2012, we're like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But for the Israelites, they didn't have a Bible, right? The, the earliest part of the Bible that we have, right, that came, came about through Earth's history are the first five books of the Bible, that's um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is what is called the book of the law or the Torah. That was like the, the Old Testament, like the people of the Old Testament. That was their Bible, except that what was happening during the Israelites being, you know, when they came out of Egypt, it hadn't been written yet. Moses wrote that and he hadn't written it yet. So they didn't even have any of this. They didn't have anything that we have today looking back. In fact, what would have happened is that the Israelites being in Egypt, they had, they had idols and carved images all around the city for their different gods. And the Israelites were just a part of that city. It was like a big city and they worked in the city and so they just saw everything and in essence became a part of everything that was going on around them. So for us, it's like, yeah, that makes no sense, God, to tell us not to have idols. But for the Israelites, it was very present. They would have said, oh, so we can't make these idols to represent our God. God doesn't want us to do this. Now, on the one hand, from just my very human side, if I made, I, I haven't done this, but I'm just wanting to kind of open this up, okay, before you go and tell your friends about the pastor at the Orange SDA Church. But let's just say that I have a cross. We don't have a cross. And um, every morning when I wake up, I go and I, and I kneel before the cross kind of as a reminder that Jesus died on the cross for me. And, and in essence, I, I, I just kneel there in front of the cross and I pray, but I'm not praying to the cross, but I'm using it kind of to pray to God. On the one hand, you're like, yeah, you're not worshiping the cross. But yet God is saying, don't do that. Because we run the danger of putting more emphasis on the thing than on the relationship with God. The moment we start putting more emphasis on things, the emphasis moves away from a relationship with God. What God was saying is that the worshiper who has made a commitment to worship only Yahweh must not compromise that worship by making it easy. That is, by adopting his own use, wait, by ad adopting for his own use shaped images 
to provide a concrete center for worship, a practice common to all of Israel's neighbors. So in essence, you don't need a shrine to have a relationship with God. You don't need to go somewhere to have a relationship with God. In essence, and I'm going to take this one step further, I hope I don't offend you, but in essence, what he is saying is your relationship with God isn't dependent on whether you come to church. Because people can come to church all they want. People could be at church all week long. It doesn't mean their relationship with God is being developed. And so what God was saying is that don't use shrines or things to improve your relationship with God. Now, in the future, I'll preach a sermon as to why church is important and all the awesome things about church. Okay? I love the church. I've dedicated my life to the church. Church is good. But what God is saying is you don't need to go anywhere. You don't need anything to help you worship. So we would go to the next fill-in-the-blank. And it says, just because the culture around you deems certain things to be normal, it doesn't mean that God approves of it. So for the Israelites in Egypt, just because everybody had idols, just because it was all around you, it was normal, right? It was just normal. It was everyday occurrence. It was just, hey, that's just the way things go. Just because that's how things are doesn't mean that that is the way God wants them to be. Remember, we live in a fallen and a sinful world. We live, in essence, in a world where we live only for ourselves. And so if we like something, we do it. And what God is saying, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. But I'm telling you right now, and we're going somewhere with this, by the way, but God is saying, but I'm telling you right now, you don't need images, idols, places, or shrines in order to develop your relationship with me. The important word in commandment two is yourself. What does it say? Do not, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. Usually when the Bible writers use the word you, Y-O-U, it's usually in the plural. We don't see that because it's written in English and we don't really have, it would be like you all, but we don't use that very much unless in our Hillbilly Ten Commandments version. But in the Bible, when the Bible writers would use the word you, oftentimes, almost always, it is used in the plural. So when God is addressing the Israelites or when the New Testament writers are addressing, you know, when Paul is addressing Christians and it says the you, you all think that it's you as a singular, but rather it's to the entire community of Christians. Okay, so that's one thing. But here in the second commandment, what you see God doing is addressing you specifically as an individual. God could have just said, hey, you all, just don't, don't make any images, but rather God says, do not make for yourself any carved images. This, what God happens here is he is making this relationship between him and you concrete. The relationship between you and God is between who? You and... It's not between you and the pastor. Your relationship with God is not between you and your wife. The relationship with God isn't between you and your husband. Your relationship with God is not between you um, and your kids. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. And what God is saying here is this, is, this is me speaking directly to you. There is no excuse to have this relationship with me. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to give any money. You don't, you don't have to pass a certain level. You don't have to do any of that. 
Just have the desire to have this relationship with me. Which takes us into the most important point of this passage. The second commandment is God's promise of God's presence to the believer. Because you have to remember, in Egypt, they would come to these idols or to these altars or whatever they would make, and they would offer sacrifices, and they would pray to these idols, and they would say, this, is, this, they would say, this isn't really the God, but it's pointing to the God, but this is an image of the God, so we pray to it so that the God sees us. But what God is saying is, there is no thing in this world that can capture the fullness of who I am. And so the reason God says don't make any images is because God doesn't need a thing in order to make himself present. God promises his presence always, everywhere. Amen? Come on, man, we got to say amen. I was at a Hispanic church this last week. This is a caveat. And um, I was there for a funeral. But man, that church was amening everything. I, would, I didn't preach. <laughs> I was just there as an, I was there just for support. But this is this is gospel. This is promise. This is when in those moments when you feel all alone and sad and you're starting to pity yourself and you're starting to be hurt or there's something that happens and you're just like, you know, I can't wait for church because I feel better when I go there. God is like, my presence is here now. This is the promise that God, God, you know, the Bible says that, um, you know, when they said how they would, when they tell Mary, the angel tells Mary what he will name her son. He says, Emmanuel, for it is God with us. Before God was with us in Jesus, God has been with his people all along. And the second commandment isn't just about, hey, don't make an idol. It's don't use those to worship me because guess what? They can never capture the fullness of my promise and who I am. Leviticus 19, I don't think I have that one on there. Leviticus 19.4 says, Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal and then God says, I am the Lord, your God. What he is saying is that I am in the midst of you always. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, but I can't see God. I don't like that I can't see God. Does anybody else have that problem? It would make a lot of things easier for me. It would. It just would. If I could see God face to face and live, I think a lot of things would be different in my life. But I can't see God. But what God is saying, my presence is there. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that what I'm about to say is, oh, it is biblical. But I would say that God is present to each one of us, to each one of you, through his Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's like a spirit, right? It's like, can it pass through walls? I don't know, probably. God can do whatever God wants to. But the Holy Spirit is available to you always, everywhere, and at all times, God is present. God has always been present. God will be present, and God will be present in the future. God is always there. I would think of it this way. Now that I'm a parent, um, there's almost not a moment in my mind that goes by that I'm not thinking about one of the three kids. I'm thinking, is Austin enjoying school today? Is he falling asleep in school today? No, he doesn't fall asleep. You know, Did he like his lunch? You know? Did I put enough jelly in his, in his peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I don't know. I think about Gavin. I'm like, is he, is he nervous right now because he's not sure if he, if he knows all of his times tables? Or I think about Kylie and how she's just ready to graduate from high school, and I'm just constantly thinking about it. And I think, does she have gas in her car? 
Is the air conditioner working? Do they have food at home? I mean, like, there's just this constant, constant thinking about the three kids that I have been entrusted to, or that have been entrusted to me. Now, if me, super selfish, super, super sinful human being that I am, that has all of these thoughts always running through my mind about everything else, if I can continually think about my kids, and subsequently Kim, but it's a different story, then wouldn't God, who gives us life, who is not sinful, who is not selfish, who is good, holy and blameless, isn't he always concerned about you? Yeah. And that's gospel right there. So God is never going to not be in your midst. God will never not be present to you. But the ball is in your court. The ball is in your court and the decision is up to you. If there is to be a next step, it is your step to make and it is your decision. Will you commit to God? The next fill in the blank. And this is from personal experience, by the way. I live this. Make sure it's up there. The more time you spend with God daily, the more your heart will yearn for God. So let me give you an example of how this might look like in our human perspective and then try to connect it to God. Actually, I think that's for the next one. Yeah. When, I, um, when Kim and I first started dating, I lived three hours away, which meant that we would see each other Sometimes on the weekends, but oftentimes every other weekend. You know, we would text all the time. We would try to talk, but, you know, with the kids, it's hard for, you know, it was hard for her because they were always like, Mom, 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 Mom. They still are, but now I'm like, shh, and they can't get mad at me. No, I don't, I don't tell them that. I don't tell them that. <laughs> I did tie my son up the other day, but that's another story. <laughs> but when I first started dating Kim, I mean, every, every single thought of my entire being was wrapped up into her and her smile, and her eyes, and the color of her eyes, and I would text her all the time, and I would text her all of this, you know, just all these, like, long love message texts, right? And, um, you know, we were just texting consistently. I didn't need to be in her presence to fall more and more in love with her. I didn't need to be right there in front of her to even love her. I didn't need to be right there in front of her for our relationship to develop. It developed because I had a yearning to connect with her. I had a yearning to, to have a conversation with her, to get to know her, to get to know what she likes and what she doesn't like, you know. I, my relationship with her and yours, if you're married, developed not because you were always together, because that's impossible and scary. <laughs> but your relationships develop because you, you are intentional about, intentional about communicating with one another, with growing with one another. You take the time Right? When, when you first fall in love with someone, all you can do is think about them and all you want to do is spend time with them, right? Amen? Yeah, that's what we do. It's, it's human. So why don't we do the same thing with God? A relationship with God functions much the same way. It's about developing that relationship. It's about cultivating that relationship. And it's about spending daily time with God. Now, as a pastor, I've spent daily time with God for the last, you know, I don't know, seven years, six years. And I've tried many different things, but one of the things that I've done recently, and I'm sharing this with you, maybe this will help you, but one of the things that I've done recently in the last couple of months is I've been, I have a book that's called The Daily Texts, and I've shared this with some of the leaders here. And what it is, is there are three passages, Old Testament, a psalm, and a, and a gospel story. And so I read that, highlight, right, spend some time in the morning with that, just reading through that. And then it gives two passages in there that are written in the book, 
and in each, for each day. There's a promise text and a doctrinal text, and then there's like stanzas of songs or hymns, and then it ends with a prayer. This little book has changed my life literally overnight. Here's what happened. I was sharing the story earlier. This last week, um, I'm not a very patient person. I just pretend that I am. But at home, I remember, I, I, you know, I was getting like really anxious about stuff. And, you know, husbands and wives, when you disagree on something, we didn't fight. But I was kind of like, you know, in my mind, I was like, I wanted to say it. But I've been reading this passage in the Bible that says to hold your tongue, that only a fool says what he thinks all the time, by the way. So I held my tongue. But in that moment, I realized, you know what? I want to go back to this daily text. I want to center myself on the scriptures for the day. And I want to allow the Holy Spirit to work through me. So what do I do? I went from my room, literally, and I walked to my study at home. I opened up the book, and I just read it and prayed through it. And it calmed me. What I've begun to realize, it's the first thing I do in the mornings now, too. First thing, I wake up extra early because we've got to make sandwiches for the kids and get them to school. I do this, and I spend the time on this, maybe an hour, an hour and a half sometimes. I have the luxury to do that, okay? I know not all of you do, but I do. And what I find is I want to come back to that text again in the evening. It's changing my life. It's not just the words on the page, but it's what the Holy Spirit is doing through that. Because what I'm doing is I am desiring and yearning to develop this relationship with God. I can't tell you exactly how God does it, but it's changing my life. It's given me so much peace in some turbulent times. It gives me peace knowing that God is always present and God will always be there. I share this with you not because I'm trying to show off that I do a morning devotional. It doesn't make any sense. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do that. I don't get points for doing that. I do this because it's changing my life, and I've given my life to serve God, and I know that it will change yours. I long for this communion with God, and so the question I ask you is, do you long to commune with God? So it's getting cooler in here, so I can go for a few more minutes. I've longed for so many other things. I'm going to share something that's embarrassing, but it happened several years before you met me, so it's okay. I, <laughs> I'm like a, I like watching television, but I refuse to turn it on because I hate commercials and I don't want to be sucked in for hours, so I don't. But every once in a while, I'll come across a television show that I want to watch on Netflix, the only way to watch things, because there's no commercials. You can pause it at any time, and you can watch an entire season. So I remember coming to one specific show, which I will not share the name of, and I started watching it just on a Sunday afternoon, and all of a sudden, Monday morning shows up, and I'm still watching the show. In the process, I knew I shouldn't be, and in the process, I was like, you are so lame, but I did it anyway, and I watched five seasons of it. I don't know how many seasons. It was pretty bad. I was a student. It was okay. But what I realized is I would go to class, I'd have to break to go to class, and then I would come back because I longed to see the show. I was yearning to see the show. And it, it was pointless. It was dumb. At the end of it, the last episode, I didn't even watch the last season because I was like, this is so dumb, but I did it. But I longed for it. I yearned for it. I yearned for something that didn't give me any life and didn't really give me any happiness. When I was in seminary, I used to yearn for one particular restaurant where we would go and buy these really delicious hamburgers. And I would even tell people, let's go, this hamburger will change your life. And we would go, and I would yearn for it daily. I've yearned for so many different things in my life. 
none of which can promise what God promises. Only the promise of God's presence can really change your life. Commandment number two is really asking you the question, what are you longing for and what do you yearn for? Images are incapable of capturing the fullness of God. That's kind of out of place, but that's the next one, fill in the blank. Now I want to go on and try to finish this up. Why did I? I think I skipped the whole page on here. What we find then, I'll just go to the next point because it's there, is that God's, God doesn't always work on our timing. God works on God's timing, and that is always the right timing. The reason I have this on here is if you remember the story, if you've been to church, and if you haven't, I'm going to tell it in 30 seconds. Moses was up on the mountain, right? He was talking to God for 40 days, and the Israelites became restless. So after 40 days, the Israelites, they told Aaron, the second in command, they said, hey, Aaron, will you make us an idol so we can worship it? Apparently, 40 days was too long for the Israelites to wait for Moses. They knew he was up on the mountain talking to God, but it was too much. So what did they do? Aaron asks them to take off all of their jewelry, all of their gold, and he melts it and he makes a small calf, a little cow that probably would have been this big, I think they say. Would have been tiny. For them, God was taking too long. And so what happens is that they started going to other idols. The reason that matters right now is because some of you who come to God, some of you who, who when you're going through something difficult, you begin to pray to God and you begin to, God, to ask God for help. Help me get through this. The problem is you're only going to God in the tough times. So you don't even know how God works in your life. All you have is a selfish desire to get past this difficult situation in your life. This is what happened to the Israelites. They got impatient. And the reason I have this, this fill in the blank for you is that you will be tempted to go to other things to find happiness and life. You will be tempted to worship, in essence, other gods. But God is saying don't because those gods are dead. And I have a message for parents. And some, a lot of our youth, actually most of our youth are in camp. They're not here, so I can't bore them right now. So this is for the parents. The second part of, this, of, the, of the commandment says that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. But God will show steadfast love to the thousands who love him and keep his commandments. God isn't going to go punish your kids if you're not a very good Christian or if you don't believe not what this is saying. What it's saying is that if you are not teaching your children the way of the Lord, they won't follow it. If you are not being the example for your children, they're not going to follow that example because it won't be there. And what ends up happening as what happened to the Israelites is when they didn't have a role model of what a godly person looks like and somebody who is committed to God, when they don't have that, then they are going to drift from the way of God. Not because they're bad people and not because they're horrible, but because they didn't have a role model to show them the way. That is a parent's responsibility. Now, if you're not a parent and you never are going to have kids, there are people that are around you that, are, that you can influence them and you are called to be a role model to them. This afternoon, I'm plugging this because it's important. This afternoon, if you are a man... Whether you have children or don't have children, we are starting something for the next six weeks. 
Saturday afternoon from 4 o'clock to 5.15. An hour and 15 minutes is all we need. And we're going to be going through what does it look like? What does it mean that God is calling you to be a man? What does a man of God actually look like? And so it is an invitation and it is a call. And if, if you can make it this afternoon, you're not, you're not going to be disappointed. For the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at what is the role of a man in his home and what is the role of a man in this world. And, um, and we're doing this for six weeks and then we're going to take a break and keep going throughout the year. You will not want to miss this. So at this point, there's one more word that I want to share before I share the last side of the, the back side of the, of the study guide. So we understand that we are not to make idols, right? We are not to make images of God. That's wrong. God doesn't need a place. But oftentimes we make idols of really good things. Sometimes we make idols of our church. Sometimes we make idols of our doctrine. Sometimes we make idols out of the Bible. And we focus on the doctrine and we focus on the Bible and we don't put anything on the Bible and we tell everybody to be extremely quiet in the church and we tell kids they can't run around in the church because this is God's holy place. In my opinion, I'm okay if kids run around. It throws me off a little bit, but I want them to have, this is a place of safety. If you want your kids to be in church when they are older, it's not about teaching them all of the right stuff. It's about them knowing that the church is a safe place for them. Not only that, that this is a place where I'm going to say the F word is a, fun, is a fun place. Church is fun. Amen, come on. VBS, have you been here for VBS? Also, it's pandemonium, or what is it, what's the, pandemonium? Pan, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's fun. Church is allowed to be fun because this is where we come and we worship God. It's fun to worship God. It's awesome to worship God. Guess what? It does more for us than it does for God. Church is good. Let your kids be kids. Because guess what? When Jesus says, let the children come to me, what he's saying is let them be in my presence and in my midst. And for little kids, the church is actually a visual representation of where God is. It's not theologically true all the time, right? Because God's everywhere. We just noticed that. But church is good. And so we come to the final part that we sometimes make idols out of things, and we do, and we make idols out of good things. And I'm here to challenge you and say, no, no, just focus on developing your relationship with Christ. Focus on that. Spend daily time on that. And I guarantee you that God is going to help you work everything else out. And we make idols of ourselves. Okay, I'm about to finish here. We make idols of ourselves. And what that means is this. When we are kids, we are taught that it's all about happiness, right? You know, that the point of life, the purpose of life is to be happy. I asked a high school teacher of mine once, what's the purpose of life? Just because I was curious, and she says to be happy. And I believed that for a split second, but then I realized that's unrealistic. Real life, you're not always happy. But we fall into that kind of, that slavery of, yeah, I want to be happy. So when things aren't going well, we search for different things to make us happy. And that's not real life because we can't always be happy. We make idols of ourselves. And what ends up happening when we do that is that we make an idol of ourselves and we're not worshiping God. Instead, we're worshiping ourselves because we want to get our way all the time. We, want, we believe that we are always right. We want to be happy all the time, and we deserve to be happy, so we find happiness in every way that we can, and that's making an idol of yourself. And what happens is God is relegated 
to this building once a week on Saturday mornings. That's not a relationship with God. So here are some practical ways. There are five practical ways that you can avoid making yourself an idol or making other things idols in your life. Here we go. Number one, read Scripture. Read Bible. The Bible is God's most important document. I would say this, God, the God of the universe who created all things, who can do all things, this God who gave you life chose to reveal himself to you through the Bible. People say, oh, I don't know, I don't know God, I don't know how to get to know God. Read the Bible. So there's a couple ways you can do this. You can just open it and read through it in a year. There's Bibles. They have special Bibles on Amazon, at the Christian bookstores, at Walmart. I think they even have everywhere you go. They have Bibles that are one, one-year Bibles that every day you just open up to day one and you can read and go through the whole year. You can do that. You can listen to your Bible on MP3. Almost everybody now has MP3s or a CD player. They sell it. Listen to it while you're in the car. Most of us have commutes. Listen to it when you're at home for half an hour or an hour. Buy a devotional. If, if, if reading the Bible is too scary for some of you, buy a devotional where it's a text and then they actually have like a paragraph or two about, you know, that passage. I can help you find that if that's something you're interested in. Whatever it is, read the Bible. This is not legalism. Reading the Bible is not going to save you. It's not going to give you salvation. Reading the Bible is not even going to make you a better Christian unless you allow the Bible to shape you. Understand? So the Bible only shapes you if the Holy Spirit is a part of it. Read the Bible. Number two, and these are things I do, memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. You can go to the Christian bookstore, and they have, they have little cards that are already printed with it, okay? You don't have to do any work. You just have to pay for it, and it has promises on there. Do that. Um, or you can make your own cards, right? Put a ring around it, and just Bible verses that are good, Bible verses that you've come that have been meaningful, use that, carry that wherever you go. Now, how many of you have a smartphone, an iPhone, uh, any kind of droid? How many of you have that? Raise your hands. Okay. What I do um, when I come across Bible passages in the Bible, what I do is I'll highlight them in my Bible, then I'll sit down at my computer and I'll type them into an app that I have. It's a note-taking app that I type it in, it syncs to my phone. So when I'm at the grocery store, right, and I'm waiting in line and I'm like, yeah, this line is taking forever, let me check Facebook. Then I tell myself, no, let me check the faith book, you know, let me go. And so what I do is I just read. I just read through the Bible verses that I've put into my note-taking app. And I read it and I read it. And it begins to shape me because it comes to mind when I want to say something, you know, when I want to say something that I know I'm going to regret and I am reminded only fools give full vent to their hearts. So I am reminded and that it's shaping me and that it's changing me. Number three, get involved in a small group Bible study. In the back this morning, we have three sign-up sheets. Um, we are, are starting our next cycle of small groups. And so um, Bob and Kurt are going to be leading one out again, as they did last time at Kurt's house. There's a sign-up sheet back there. That'll be on Wednesdays starting, I'm sorry, Tuesdays, starting a week from next Tuesday. So you have time. We're going to have books for you. Um, we accept donations if you're, if you're able to. Um, if you live in the Inland Empire and you're like, hey, Orange is too far, no excuse because I'm leading a group in Riverside again. And so if you want to come to that, there's a sign-up there. We're still working on creating more groups, and if you're interested, but you're just like, hey, those dates don't work, there's, a, there's two other sign-up sheets that are just ones that, you, you know, hey, I'm interested, and we'll get you connected to the groups. Number four is pray. Just pray. 
And I would say this, begin with what you're thankful for, not with what you're asking God to do. It changes you and it changes the way you pray. And number five, die. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, learn to die to your selfish desires. Learn to die to what you want. It's a biblical way of saying, surrender yourself to God and let God lead you. It's not kill yourself. It's just die to your inner self and open yourself up to God. Surrender to God daily and God will work through you. And the final fill in the blank is this. Finally, be sincere and faithful. God isn't looking for super Christians or perfect Christians. God is looking for people who are sincere and who are faithful. That's biblical. It's found in Joshua 24, 14. It says, therefore, fear or respect the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. All God is looking for is for a sincere heart and a faithful heart. And this morning, I am just challenging you that commandment number two is first and foremost a promise that God's presence will always be there for you. And it is a challenge for you to commit to this one God And to not go to any other things for happiness or meaning or purpose, but to go to God, surrender yourself to God, and allow God to flow through you so that you would be able to experience the abundant life that Jesus promises. Amen.